The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. It's known as the Oscars of the food industry and this year's Bloss 2020 will celebrate the very best in food and drink in the country as it has done for the past 13 years with almost 50 producers in the final from around the southeast across a range of categories. Chairman of the Bloss Awards, Artie Clifford, is going to talk to us in a while about the awards and what they mean to the food industry. But first, I travel to South County Wexford to visit the people behind Fancy Fungi, who won a bronze award for their wild and gourmet mushroom pate in 2017 and are finalists again this year. I am Catherine George and along with my husband Nick George we run Fancy Fungi Gourmet Mushrooms in Wexford here down by the sunny coast. There are so many mushrooms here. There is quite a few. Now they've been picked today so uh, there's probably not as many as there would be uh, normally but as you can see all of the blocks here and there's like hundreds of blocks in this tunnel. They all have the great oyster mushrooms growing on them at the moment. It is, I'm not going to say it's roasting, but it's very humid, humid in here. In here, yeah. They, they have to be um, produced at a certain temperature. You know, they're, they're very finicky. They like their, they like, they know what they like. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to keep them at the correct temperature. These are grey oyster mushrooms, mushrooms mostly that are grown in here. As you can see, we have big black bags. It looks like uh, just the mushrooms are all grown out the side of them. These also come in lovely gold and lovely pink. I don't have any here to show you at the minute, but it's uh, there's golden oyster mushrooms and pink oyster mushrooms. So the grey oyster mushroom is the one, the most common one that we would grow here. And we also have shiitake mushrooms as well growing down here. Then we bring in a range of mushrooms as well to mix them up with ours to just complement our range so that we've got a great variety of textures and flavours um, all mixed together. And why mushrooms? Why not? <laughs> mushrooms are actually so versatile. I mean, they can be used for breakfast, lunch, dinner, soups, starters. They're fantastic uh, dietary, you know, they have loads of vitamins, minerals. Vitamin D, of course, at the moment is so important. Um, they're great for diabetics, um, vegetarians, vegans are using them. So they're so versatile. Um, it kind of happened by accident that we're growing mushrooms. But here we are 22 years later and we're still growing mushrooms. So we're obviously, it was obviously meant to be. Um, you know, we used to go walking with our dog 22 years ago down our, our lanes and forage mushrooms. You know, we'd pick them off the ditch, bring them home and they, oh yeah, they look interesting. Let's throw them on the pan and see what happens, you know. And then we started bringing them into some of the restaurants. And of course... 22 years ago you couldn't really get wild mushrooms on a menu you know so the restaurants that we were bringing them into were delighted you know because now they were getting something that nobody else had and they said well look at why can't you grow these all year round and we said well yeah sure if they grow in the ditch they can't be that hard to grow can they okay we learned the hard way that that wasn't quite as simple <laughs> as it sounded but uh, yeah so we started uh, growing a few different varieties a lot of trial and error you know but you know we're here now 22 years later and we're still growing mushrooms and it's it's great fun sometimes because you can open these tunnel doors some mornings and expect to have tons of mushrooms and they might not have grown very much at all overnight you know oh, they have so their own ideas they have their own ideas yes on when they want to grow so it's it's this is why nobody else really grows them because they're just not that easy to grow you won a bronze award for your pate in 2017 uh, for for the Bloss award so you're making products as well from your mushrooms yeah we got to a stage here and we had mushrooms left over um you know so Obviously, they have a certain shelf life and we don't like to see things going to waste. So myself and Nick were having a conversation about, gosh, you know, what can we do with these mushrooms? Um, so we thought about it and thought about it and then we dried them. We started drying them. So, of course, then you give them a shelf life of 18 months, which is great. Then uh, as time went on, I said to Nick, I said, I have a great idea. Let's make some added value products, you know, and we thought about pâtés and umami paste, pickled mushrooms, relishes, all these kind of ideas. 
and then we could sell them everywhere, you know. And Nick said, I have a great idea. And I said, what's that? He said, go ahead, you do it. <laughs> so, we <laughs> well, actually, Nick and his, and his friend, who's a chef, Tim, they came up with these recipes uh, between them. And yes, we, we started trialing them and they started winning awards. And we thought, oh, gosh, you know, this is great because we're other ways of using our mushrooms, which is also, you know, it's brilliant, you know, and it's, it's not just cooking with the mushrooms. Now you can just get a cracker and spread it on your cracker or, you know, lots of different ways that we can just, just use them. So again, just showing how versatile that the mushrooms are. So, um, yeah, we started, I think, in 2016, we first uh, applied for, or um, went in for the awards of Blossom Heron, and we won a Chef's Choice Award, which we didn't really understand. That's actually quite a good award to win, you know, I mean, it's not just a, a finalist or a silver or a gold, you know, but we didn't really understand the significance of it, because the product then, kind of, people were saying, okay, if this is a Chef's Choice, it must be pretty good, you know, so, you know, your, your awards can really kind of skyrocket your product don't underestimate the power that they have and, and especially Blossom the Heron is widely acknowledged as being you know one of the best and, and most um, respected uh, awards in, in Ireland. And that was Catherine George from Fancy Fungi in South County Wexford. She has quite the passion for mushrooms. If you want to check out what Fancy Fungi do and all the different varieties of mushrooms they have the website is fancyfungi.ie. And Artie Clifford who is the chairperson of the Bloss Awards joins me this morning. Hiya Artie. Ah, oh, good morning, Norla. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You have a lovely job, a kind of a when it comes to judging, a lot of tasting going on, I'd say. Um, well, the funny thing is, Orla, um, we the team here uh, don't taste, oh. uh, and the reasoning behind that is because it's blind tasting. We remove all of the um, outside influences. So, okay. if you can understand that, myself and the team here, and we're a small team of three at last. If we were to taste the products, we would probably recognize the producers and be sympathetic towards them. Okay. So that would influence us. Um, so you have to do all the hard background work and you don't get to taste it. We, we do all the hard work um, and no, we don't get to taste the food for <laughs> good. Now, so many categories, so little time, Artie. It really is divided up very well with uh, the Blossom Heron and Bloss Awards. Tell us a little bit about the categories. Okay, so we have 43 main categories and then they're subdivided um, into 144 categories. So what you're doing is you're judging... Um, I suppose we've expanded the categories. We started 13 years ago with 36 categories and they were just 36 categories. But now, as products and changes in Irish taste have come, we've allowed for new and innovative products and also products that are meeting demand from the consumer. So, like, I suppose category 35, um, which was uh, hard goods like relishes and jams mm. and marmalades, now goes 35A to 35O. Okay. Wow. And when all this started 13 years ago, Artie, why do you think the Blossnaheran Awards in particular were needed here on the island of Ireland? Well, I suppose that's, um, that's the story. Um, I was a food producer and was bemoaning um, to a fellow producer the fact that we had to go abroad to get an accreditation for an Irish product. Okay. And, you know, there should be some sort of an accreditation body. Um, there wasn't. So, um, as we always say, it was the Irish solution to the Irish situation. We started it ourselves. Um, and little did I know uh, that I, because I was chairperson and founder that I could never enter. 
so never get an accreditation for the products that I produce. And what were you producing um, then? Seafood products, seafood okay. chowders, pâtés, uh, smoked fish. So my first task in the first year was to shake hands with my competitor and tell him what a wonderful job he was doing. But I got over it. Indeed you did. And 13 years later, you're still carrying out the Bloss Awards. And of course, it has to be something quite different this year. You even relocated to Dingle for the judging. Tell us about that. Well, I suppose relocation to Dingle was very simple. Normally, we would move to the campus in UCC in Cork. We had no access to that. So um, I live in Dingle. So uh, I reduced the commute, found a location here, which we rented for uh, six weeks, which allowed us to carry on with the um, the judging. So we had to restrict ourselves to 12 judges per session and three sessions per day, and then go at it hard and fast. Um, there was a lot of different restrictions, um, but we worked within the guidelines. Um, we had a new entry system, which was online, um, and it's, uh, I suppose it's backed up by an Irish company based in Cork. And our biggest struggle was going to be the scoring. Um, and mm. that was done on paper sheets. Um, and there was a lot of paper involved. So we posed that um, situation to uh, submit in Cork. And they came back very quickly with a package where it could be uploaded onto a judge's phone or tablet. Okay, so it well. ruled out the paper. Um, so it worked out very, very well. So that was the silver lining this year. Brilliant. Had to think a little bit outside the box. As we said earlier, almost 50 producers from around the southeast are finalists for this year's Blossner Hair and Blossner Awards. Um, let's, yep. let's pick a county because it's hard to list the amount of um, finalists from each county. But just to give us an idea of the scope of producers that are out there, um, will we pick... Wexford, for example, what kind of foods are being produced in Wexford that are finalists in the Blossom Hair and Bloss Awards? Okay, so we have a full range, I suppose. We have uh, Fancy Fungi, who you've been with, mm -hmm. uh, Irish Country Meats, Isle of Crackers, Cologne, Krishna Foods, Naturally Cordial, O'Neill's Dry Cure Bacon, Scoop Gelato, Sean Stafford's Bakeries, Stafford's Irish Spirits, Tara Hill Honey, Wexford Home Preserves, Wild About, Zana Cookhouse and Yellow Belly Beer. So that's a kind of a mixture of, and as in every year, the finalists always come from a mixture of very large producers and the small, even startups, people just, you know, who are only starting their journey in food production. Um, and, and some very, people who have changed. And very recognisable yep. names there, like Yellow Belly Beer, for example, and Stafford's Bakery from my hometown in Gorey, which have been around for decades. And then small, I suppose what you'd call in the day, cottage industries like honey manufacturers and things like that. So in one sense, what would a Bloss Award do for the big companies compared to the smaller ones even? Or is it, uh, is it a war an award for everyone almost? It is. We like to consider that it's a level playing field, so the yeah. opportunity is there for the small and the large. Um, and what we do know is that um, over 79% of Irish shoppers recognise the accreditation mm -hmm. and the symbol. Mm. Of that, um, 68 to 70% will purchase a product with the symbol on it. So I suppose for a producer, um, they know that it will increase their sales, um, you know, the shopper is saying, well, look, um, they won 
they're a finalist, they're a bronze, silver or gold. It's a, a mark of quality um, and they know that they can, they trust the honesty of Bloss to um, bring the products to their attention. So for a small producer that can launch them on the next stage of mm-hmm. their journey, um, bring them recognition to the consumers, but also to the buyers in um, retail, be them be they small, independent, or large retail, they watch the awards very, very carefully. Mm-hmm. And they're always keen to make contact with producers who are in receipt of an accreditation from Boston okay. Heron. Good to hear. Now, your awards um, are going to be announced across the day on October 3rd. Of course, you can't have a big event as usual this year, but you're going to see if you can trend with the Bloss 2020 and then you'll be announcing the different awards throughout the day. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it starts at uh, 12 o'clock and runs through till. I suppose a bit like the championship. Um, what we do is we award best in county, which goes to best in province. Okay. And then from the four best in province, we have our supreme champion. So it's the highest scoring product throughout the 32 counties um, in the year, okay, um, which is a very high accolade. Okay, good stuff. And that is happening, as you said, on October the 3rd. If you want to keep an eye out on all of that and see how your county is doing in the Blossnaher and Bloss Awards, the Irish Food Awards, well, you can check out the website. It's irishfoodawards.com. And Artie, thank you so much for talking to me this morning. Thank you, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, my next guest is a Carlo-born neurocoach. What's a neuro coach? I hear you say. Well, Paddy Morn is on the phone to explain all. Hiya, Paddy. How you doing, Harlow? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you're not just a neuro coach. You're not just from Carlo. You're one of Ireland's first qualified, optimized neuro coaches and neuro leaders. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. It surely is. Yeah. <laughs> explain it in your most oh, basic. In the, in the simplest. In the simplest terms, so uh, neuro coach. So what I it's, it's looking. It's a study of the brain and the nervous system, and probably the most exciting thing about studying neuroscience is brain imaging technology allows us to see what's happening in the brain in real time. So when I'm working with a with a with a client, to do a lot of work with teams, students, um. What I, we get to understand what's happening in the brain. So when we think certain things, what's happening, what roles are emotions playing um, when we're doing certain things, and especially in the world that we're living in now, there's loads of change going on. So how is the brain coping with that? Mm-hmm. And how can we use our brain at a much, much, much higher level? Okay. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's exciting stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like you hook people up to a machine and talk to them. Yeah, so in the, in the neuro, when you're, when you're doing the imaging uh, studies, so there's been a lot of studies done in the past, so probably I can give you just an example mm. of, some, of some studies. Uh, yeah, so if you take, say, isolation at the moment, so uh, if you take people are being, you know, isolated, uh, elderly people at home, there was a study, a cyberball study done, and what they did was they put... A person into an fMRI uh, scanner, and they told this person that they were they're going to play a game of ball uh, against two other people in two other in two different scanners. Okay. 
So when, when, when it started, so the game started, and so the person in the scanner was actually playing a computer, right? And so they start throwing one, the ball to that person and then to the other person. So it was going three different ways, mm. okay? And so while that's happening, uh, the person is feeling good, the brain is lighting up, I feel connected, okay? And then what they did as part of the study, they stopped throwing the ball to the person in the scanner. Okay. Now, what happened here was really, really exciting because what happened is that the area of that person's brain, um, the area that's responsible for pain, lit up. Oh. Okay. So that study proves that if we're being left out of something or feeling isolated, we're actually experiencing pain. So we're, we're experiencing the pain the same as if, you know, if we got a kick or we fell. So it's it's that was quite a remarkable study that was that was done. That's quite interesting because yeah. you know that we hear um, a lot of studies that have also said that isolation is a cause of illness. And absolutely, mm. absolutely, yeah. Because if you've got if you've isolation, and what tends to happen with people uh, if if they're feeling isolated, um, they they're not releasing as much dopamine uh, mm-hmm. into the system, which is a feel good chemical. Um, so it's really, really, really important, especially right now, for us to be to notice people who may be feeling isolated. And this can be you could feel isolated in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously people, you know, people, elderly people at home. Um, and loneliness. We need, yeah, we really we need to be we need to be looking out uh, for these people and 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 you know and doing our best to to help them because. When you when you go down that that road of feeling isolated and trying to get back out, you know it can be a slippery it can be a slippery road. And then obviously it has proven in neuroscience that it has an effect on your brain waves and uh, occasions where you feel what seems like pain. Yes. Okay. Yes. Does that mean yes. that FOMO could be a real thing then? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Good to yeah. know. All yeah, right. so, yeah, because even when you think of social media and everything that's happening on social media, that a lot of people, you know, people are posting and what's happening is they're posting, they're waiting for likes, okay, and when they get a like, they're getting a release of dopamine into their system, so that makes them feel good, so they keep posting, but if they're posting and they're not getting their likes, then they could be feeling isolated. Okay. Uh, and this is having this is having a negative effect on their on their brain and how they're thinking. Okay, interesting. So it's, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And you mm. say on your website as well that not only looking at how different emotions affect people and affect their brain, you can also enhance human potential. So say something like isolation or fear of missing out. How can you enhance someone either to not feel that or to get over that hurdle as a neuro coach? Okay, yeah. So if if we're in isolation, um, and for whatever reason it is, so, so very, very, oh God, very simply, I would give you, if you can imagine, so the front, the front of your brain, you'd never call it prefrontal cortex, okay? So this okay. is the CEO, CEO of your brain. Right. Uh, that, does all this, all, that does all the planning and thinking for you, right? But it's, it's energy hungry. It gets tired so, so quick, and it's lazy, right? Um, so that's where we need to be working from. And then towards the back of our head, uh, we've got our limbic system, which is our emotional brain, uh, and then down the base towards the back of our neck, we've got our brain stem, which is our primitive brain, the very first brain. Okay. Um, primitive brain, when we're working from a primitive brain, so the primitive brain does all our breathing for us. 
Mm-hmm. You know, all the stuff we don't have to think about. So you can imagine okay. if you have to think about breathing. Um, and then you've got the um, your emotional brain. Okay, so the emotional brain is it's there for a reason. Emotions are are good. We we need to have emotions. Um, but if we, and then you've got the, the front of the brain. But if we're working from the back of the brain up, um, or like we're working from, we could be working from a place of fear. Okay. okay? Yeah. Uh, because like, that's a primitive emotion. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and. If we're working for a place of fear and our bottom with little thing to two two amygdalas, okay, uh, in our emotional brain, which they're there to sense threat, okay? okay. So if we're feeling threatened, um, what happens is our emotions then take over and we're not thinking clearly. So okay. we're not using we're not using the prefrontal cortex, the most the important of part of our area. Okay. Yeah. So if we're working from that emotional brain, and you know you're trying to make decisions, um, and I'd say to people I'm working with, I think you might as well be drunk when you're working from these this emotional brain because mm. you can't. We've all had that experience. So when you can't think clearly, yeah, and then when you look back you, on it, you think, "I wish I'd done that." Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I would do, so in that in in, in a situation, we're going okay. So if we understand our brain just a little bit better, okay. So be able to awareness is number one, okay. So what part of my brain am I working from? So you know, instead of using this sciencey term, like the amygdala, I say the Amy. Mm-hmm. I, I can recognize. Oh, I'm working from my Amy today. I'm, you know, I'm feeling stressed, or I'm I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling angry. Whatever the emotion is, um, and if, number one is to be aware of what is that emotion that I'm that I'm feeling. Okay. Okay. And now, what can I do that I am aware of it? Okay. So if I am feeling overwhelmed, um, and I'm feeling bogged down, okay. What we do is we kick in the front part of our brain and go, okay. So what one thing can I do now? So there's a great guy called Beck and Kyle, and he called he he uses this. Uh, term called pan positive action now so what positive action can i take now okay so when we're when we're feeling stressed getting outside for a couple of minutes okay okay nature is it's free uh, and it's so good for our brains um practice, going back to our breath practicing our breathing okay so some deep breaths and uh, that all calms down your your emotional brain Okay, so that whole what people say about deep breath in and out for eight, things like that really help. Oh, absolutely. Like okay. the, the, the power of a breath order is, uh, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I, and we just, we, we don't use it enough. You know, people okay. tend not to, to use it enough because they get so caught up in this emotional brain that they just, it's just pause for a second. I said to people, just I stop and I need to do think. this. Yes. Yeah. Pause, yeah. get out in nature, take a deep breath. I'm, I'm, Sure, we've only scratched the surface with what you do as a neuro coach, Paddy. But if people want to get more details, your tagline is that you enhance human potential. I think that's a, a really good sentence to end this on. If you want to go to neurocoach.ie or if you search neurocoach um, on Facebook, you'll for, see more details on what Paddy is doing. Thanks a million for explaining all that and for giving us a few tips this morning that might help people. Uh, who It's that kind of flight, fight or flight mode, isn't it? It is, yeah, and that's you know when we're in, and that's that's your emotional brain. Um, mm. 
or uh, you know that's when we're in fight or flight. But it's recognizing when we're there and just small little things like get out of nature, the deep breaths, really important. Even, even you know something that's so simple, practicing gratitude. So yes. if we're feeling stressed, what am I grateful for okay. right now? You know, okay. that's, that's, I will remember that's, that. Yeah, that stops us straight away. Yeah. Some good advice on a Sunday morning, Paddy. It was so lovely to talk to you. That website again is neurocoach.ie. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. That laugh is the laugh of our Debbie Ridgard from The Takeover. And oh, Give us your spiel there, Debbie. <laughs> I know, I always feel like um, it's just a very long list when it comes to it. But top seven, uh, The Takeover, Chill Beats and Beat Anthems. There you go. Yes. Well done. <laughs> a very busy girl and to add to that this year's Solis Cancer Support Centre Run and Walk for Life has gone virtual it's your distance your day your route and one person who is fully locked in and loaded for the event is Miss Debbie Ridgard and uh, she is training this is her first week of training mm-hmm. so we said we'd bring her in to see how she's doing she kind of hobbled in a little bit <laughs> be a little bit tight in the old quads yeah like first week done and dusted um, I suppose I was talking to Shane Deneen who's the personal trainer mm-hmm. um, who's working alongside the Solace Cancer Support Centre okay. with the Run and Walk for Life and I was like to him look I did the 10k last year I didn't run since <laughs> <laughs> okay. once it was done I was like See you later. That so running isn't really your thing, Deborah. It's not my forte. Okay. No, it isn't. What is your forte in the sports world? You see, I like to go and go to the gym, okay. but in the last while, I've gotten very lazy. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I'm blame COVID-19. I'm going to blame COVID because <laughs> I can't blame myself, clearly. Uh, no, but I go Definitely for I go for walks. Like I'm from Tremor, so... It, it's a, any excuse to go out and walk around mm. like the Donrail or go down the back strand lovely. is lovely um, so I kind of do that but now it's kind of transitioning to do some running um, so I was talking to Shane Deneen saying look I want to do the 10k I know you can pick whatever distance that you want to do mm. during the Solace uh, Run for Life this year but I want to do the 10k because that's the official one I did it last year I should potentially be able to do it again mm-hmm. um, so he very kindly set up a four week programme to get to 10k in between the 9th and the 11th of October, which is okay. when the virtual run for life happens. Um, so he did this and he allowed me to share it up online. So if anybody wants to do the 10K, you can train along with me so that I'm not feeling as bad when okay. I'm doing it. My so the friend. 9th is under three weeks away. Yes. Okay. It is just under three weeks away. Which and you're going to do 10K on the Friday, on, on the, the 9th. Which is the 9th. Yeah. I hope. Okay. <laughs> so what have you run so far? Or is that even a proper question? Should it be about your distance at this stage? I, I think it would for for professionals in this sense. But uh, <laughs> I am not that. I really tried. Um, I feel like, do you ever feel when you go for a run, I feel very conscious of me being so unfit okay. when I run outside. Mm. And so for me, I was trying to go, okay, week one, I'm going to do it on the treadmill. So nobody can see how bad I am at running, mm-hmm. um, but it'll be fine. I'll once it'll get to week four, I'll run and I'll have no worries about that. So I went on the treadmill for five days this okay. week, which was pretty damn good, if I must say myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was three days a week on the week one, 
So it was the 2K run at a normal kind of slow to medium pace and then uh, 2.5 kilometers in intervals and then the third day was three kilometers in intervals. So I wow, did. Wow, that's like that's longer than you think. Like I'm usually start off on a kind of 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off thing. Yeah, it was. It was tough enough now mm. trying to get it done. Um, Obviously, it was a little bit easier by doing it on the treadmill. So I increased it by a kilometer thinking I was very bougie about that. But today, as I said, you're, I'm wobbling in here because it's not working out that well. I'm a little bit tired, but okay. it's time to push through because we have three more weeks to go. And what did Shane say about you being on a treadmill? He said, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you can do it. But um, obviously the run is going to be outside. Uh, if you've ever run before, you know, running outside is very different to mm-hmm. running on a treadmill. Um, the real inclines is where it's going to be tough. So that is where um, this week I'm going to be doing more running outside from now on and trying to figure out my life and get the run sorted. But it'll be it'll be great. Um, this week, it's going up by two kilometres. So the run I'm doing tomorrow morning is four kilometres at a slow to medium pace. And that means no stopping. Where are you doing this run now tomorrow? I'm going to do it in Tremor. Okay. So um, the the main road in Tremor is like the easy one. It is okay. exactly four what kilometers. Time? What time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> but it's exactly four kilometers. It's actually in and around where I live as well. So mm-hmm. perfect time and distance that when I get tired, when I reach that 4K, I will land on the grass in my garden and just go for a nap. I just <laughs> like I've tried these sort of training plans before and they are really brilliant for building you up. Mm-hmm. I like but 4K to me I would still be a bit daunted by that. Is is there a reason you chose the 10K? I chose it because I know it is manageable. It like people are able to do. It. I did it last year. Okay. I was just I'm just getting lazy right now and during COVID-19 I think there was two types of people over the past couple of months. People that got really into fitness mm-hmm. and people who didn't. Mm. And I was the latter. And so now I'm going, okay, this is time this is the time to prove to myself that I can do this and it's also worth the cause as well. Because the Solace Cancer Support Centre is such a vital service mm-hmm. in the southeast and the majority I was looking at a couple of articles about it and last year over ninety percent of their funding came yeah, it's their biggest completely fundraiser. from this. Mm-hmm. And so Seeing that, obviously, uh, being a virtual event, it's going to be even more difficult to raise these funds. But the Solace Cancer Support Centre is still open and they still need to keep their doors open. So by making this a little bit more difficult for me and doing the 10K, I feel like it it's given me a bit of motivation to do it because I'm doing it for a very good cause at the same time. Good stuff. Very proud of you. If people want to start, you know, um, tomorrow, it's their very start. Mm-hmm. You're blogging about it. Um, also, the plan that Shane has put together with you is on our social media platforms or on beat102103.com. But just tell us what week one is if they, people want to start even now in a few minutes time. Even. Yeah. And so that's the beautiful thing about the Run for Life. The fu- the fact that it's virtual this year, mm. you can pick your day. Mm-hmm. So you can do it between the 9th and 11th of October. Yeah. That's when the official one is. But you can do it a week afterwards. You mm-hmm. can do whatever. It's just to try and raise funds. So if you want to do it as of today or as of tomorrow, week one starts with a two kilometer with a nice slow pace. Okay. So whatever so you really can manage. Doable. Yeah. So you could like do a little fast walk mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. Um, and just build up to that. And then it's going to keep going with the intervals. So that's 500 meters at a regular pace. So try and get a normal kind of 
what you, your goal run is to look like. So do that for 500 metres and then walk for a, like nice and slowly for two minutes. Repeat that four times okay. and that's your exercise number two done. You're increasing that then on number three by bringing it up to uh, three kilometres and doing it at a little bit faster pace. Okay, but it's just so kind it's of three times a week. building up the momentum to get you to run okay. by four weeks time. And as we said, the Solis Cancer Support Centre just does so many people for people um, who are living with cancer and their families. It's their biggest fundraiser of the year. And this is the virtual run and walk for life. It's the run and walk for life your way between the 9th and 11th uh, of October. You pick your distance, your route and your day. Your distance could be 500 metres mm-hmm. if you want it to be. Um, Solacentre.ie is the website if you want to check out more details on how to register and to get a sponsorship card. And of course, our website and social media platforms are the places to go to see Debbie's training plan that you can get involved in as well. And she will be blogging honestly about how she's feeling, how the muscles are, what sort yes. of a day you're having. <laughs> and on the 9th as well. Um will actually be detailing the run as it happens as well. So okay. I can't get out of it. So uh, there will be updates on the 9th as well of me being very out of breath trying to do the 10k run. So you can come along and have a laugh and raise some funds as well. <laughs> I'll be doing that. Thank you so much, Thank Debbie. You. Best of luck with it. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. The Kilkenny subtitle European Film Festival Film Club is underway. So many well-known award-winning movies and some hidden gems being shown. Richard Cook is from Subtitle. He's the artistic director and he's on the phone with more details. Hi, Richard. Hi, Orla. How are you? Great, thank you. Now, explain this because the Film Festival itself is on in November, but you've made the decision to come back to the set theatre and have your film club. Yeah, we decided to open a film club. Literally, we had our first screening um, two days before national lockdown. And so, um, obviously, we went into hibernation like so many other different events and festivals and clubs. Um, And myself and Steve Cash, my partner, made a decision uh, after talking to the guys in Langtons about whether we would be in a position to open up our film club again with, obviously, restricted numbers and distancing, etc., and he felt definitely that we could do that, so we set about doing it. So I'm really happy to say that once and sometimes twice a week, depending on demand, in the set theatre, we show films. And a really big space, the set theatre, and two floors, obviously. So you're able to social distance. We absolutely are. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really safe. I think people feel really safe when they go in there. And there's some couches downstairs as well, so people can sit in twos and singles and threes and still feel very comfortable. Brilliant. What a year it has been for the foreign movie. Of course, Parasite becoming the first non-English language film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. It was the first South Korean film to be nominated. Um, And it is one of the films that you're showing at Subtitles Film Club. Yeah, it it is. all, And I I think it's selling really well. I mean, we've already put another one, another screening on sale, which is three quarters sold out in its own right. So I think... You know, our feeling is that sometimes a film might show up in the IFI for a week, maybe 10 days, maybe five days, and then it kind of disappears because something else is ready to take its place. Um, But I always feel with really good films that there's an audience, a potential audience out there that hasn't seen it. So I suppose in a way, when it comes to subtitled films, what we do is we provide that second opportunity, that second chance. Um, And and I've just noticed that I guess because Capernaum as well is also a fantastic film, Mm. which we're also showing. um, But like that's two years old. But a lot of people in Kilkenny, when we screened it during last year's festival, hadn't seen it before. And the word of mouth was so strong. That's why it's back, essentially. I haven't heard of that film. It's a really fantastic 
fantastic film. It's called Capernaum. It premiered in Cannes in 2018. Okay. And it centers around a young kid who starts uh, out from being a kind of neglected uh, streetwise kid to a sort of a hardened adult. Um, uh, and it's uh, directed by a woman called Nadine Labaki, and it's really fantastic. It's a brilliant film. For some people, it's the best film they've seen in a number of years. Oh, so okay. I highly recommend right. it. Right, I love a recommendation. What country is it from? It's Lebanese, uh, Lebanese French. Great. Um, I saw Parasite both on the big screen in the lighthouse and then at home. And Parasite is a great movie. It's a quiet movie. It took me a while to get into it. And when I did, it just had so many twists and turns. But it needs to be seen on the big screen. I think it does. Mm. I think it does. Like a lot of good movies, I think it's made for the big screen. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things, there are a number of things that film has, uh, you know, an advantage of TV, but seeing it on the big screen with one big, long, you know, 90-minute or two-hour narrative is kind of refreshing. You know going into it, there's a beginning, middle, and end. You're not going to have to sit through three seasons to get some sort of resolution. Exactly. Um, but I think, you, you know, you're right. It's a, it's, it's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant film, clever, um, smart, you know, poor kids um, uh, from a poor family outwitting uh, this rich family, but then things turning on their head when it spins out of control. And I think, I mean, I think Bong Joon-ho, who directed it also, I, I think, was interested in saying that within the Korean um, mentality and island, there's lots of funny subtleties that we wouldn't pick up. Mm -hmm. But even what's there for us as an audience, we can see. It's yes. really funny and clever, and it fits. You could see this sort of being remade in a lot of different countries, um, probably badly, but I can see why the impulse to remake it would come about. Oh, you know? totally. I mean, you're showing a lot of movies from even nine years back. I'm thinking of Headhunters. Um, it's a long time since I've seen Headhunters. Um, a movie called Les Miserables, which uh, obviously there's the musical of the same name. Yes, I, not I, that. I, yes, I hadn't heard of this. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, this is my colleague saw this in France in Cannes at the at the film festival um, when you when it was actually running physically, mm -hmm. and um, it follows a police officer. It follows a police raid from perspective of a police officer. Um, so it's kind of part crime, part drama, part thriller, um, and it's just a it's just a fantastic rollicking ride, really, and an insight into what happens. Um, you know what can happen in in various capacities in uh, in in police investigation in France. I mean, they do that very well. The French. They I mean, do. they're quite they're quite tough on themselves in that regard, filmically, mm -hmm. um, and they do reveal a lot of the, the dark side of, uh, of 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 the police world in France. Right. There is so much happening uh, for the film club. You can check out subtitle film club on Instagram. Is probably the best place to look at what's going on. But then the actual f subtitle film festival is happening in November as usual. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, it, again, we will use, I think, probably two venues, uh, all being well, maybe three. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll continue to show, I would say, 20 films over the week. Um, and, I, you know, I know it's, it's difficult. It, it, it's, it, I suppose, in a way, I just really want to try and do something that people feel safe, but also gives them an opportunity to get out and see these, these pictures and, and to talk about them and to talk about something else other than the, the horrible pandemic yes. which has transfixed us for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think showing these movies allows people to escape into that world for some time and to, and to, and to pick up threads of conversations and make people kind of consider things in a different way, in a good way, I'm hoping. So, 
you know, when we make our selection, obviously there will be, I'm sure, difficult dramas to digest, but also I think there'll be some films which um, people will really enjoy engaging with and some comedies and, and fun stuff as well, because we need some of that, in all in fairness. True, and you know what? We need something different from the American blockbuster as well. I really enjoy a subtitled film. Sometimes I think I can't be in the minority. A lot of people argue that they don't want to concentrate on subtitles for the whole of a movie, but it actually almost gives you an extra level of, of understanding because you're concentrating on it so much. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that apart from anything else, um, I think there's so many great, as Bong Yun ho said in his speech, you know, if you just adjust your mind to the like nine inches at the bottom of your mm -hmm. screen, it will open your mind up to a whole new world of film. Mm -hmm. and he's absolutely right. And I think that the, the great thing is for people who have, reluctantly at first possibly, but embrace subtitles. I think it's been fantastic for them. It's certainly been fantastic for me um, in that it has opened my mind up to a whole new world of, of films from different countries. And cultures, um, yes. Cultures, ways of thinking, ways of expressing yourself. And I think, you know, in some of the countries, you can really get a sense of that country and the culture of that country from its film language and, yeah. and, and how it conveys itself and expresses itself through its film language. And I really like that. Yeah, and we're not um, going anywhere this year, so we might as well watch a movie from a different exactly, country. Exactly. Exactly, Orla. Yeah, well, subtitlefest.com subtitle even is the website if you want to check out more details. Subtitles Spotlight European Film Festival is on from the 23rd to the 29th of November, but the Film Club is on right now in the Set Theatre in Kilkenny, and probably the best place, as I said, to get updates on that is at Subtitle Film Club. Richard, thank you so much for talking to me this morning. No problem, Orla. And I will just say as well, something that I'm really proud of mm. is that we have invested in a brand new projector. It's a DCP player, which means that the quality of the projection is the same that you would get in any of the um, IMAX or IMC venues or, or, or that. So it's right. a very expensive piece of machinery, but I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud that we can now screen films at the same resolution as anywhere you would see. That's brilliant. And of course, in the beautiful set theatre. In, in the beautiful set theatre, indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. There are many things that are uniquely Irish and I think an Irish wedding can be counted among them. Even though the pandemic has curtailed that 250 plus Irish all day and night wedding, an Irish filmmaker is producing a documentary that hopes to capture that uniqueness of the Irish wedding through the wedding speech. Alex Vegan is that filmmaker and he's on the phone this morning. Hi Alex. Hello Orla, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. It is a beautiful day. Yes, exactly. And that's all we can hope for, a beautiful day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so who would have thought when you were sitting in a production suite thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a film about the Irish wedding. Who would have thought that a pandemic would come and change weddings, like cancel them or curtail them to 50 people? I know it's, it's 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 remarkable, and you know I feel I feel very uh, for, you know I feel sorry for so many brides and grooms and people getting married and couples out there uh, who've had to postpone their wedding time and time again over the last few months. It's and I suppose, uh, well, it, you know, to give you context, so as you said, this is a film that we're looking to make it's a documentary uh, a portrait of Ireland through the wedding speech. And what we're hoping to do is film about thirty weddings around the country, and we've filmed sixteen so far. Okay. And, and the hope is that we can find somebody out there in Waterford who is looking to get married during this, these times of, pan, of the pandemic and whether they might be interested in me. It would just be myself. It's not a big crew. We're not there to ruin the wedding day or anything like that. 
uh, to come down and capture your day. Okay. So across the southeast, anyone that's getting married over the next, how long, how long did you say? So over the next six months. Okay, so right. Right, right up to February, March. So weddings, of course, will be very different to what you filmed in the last 16 films, or 16 weddings that you filmed. Did anything stand out from those 16 weddings for you? Ah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, so the idea of the film is that Irish people don't normally speak in public. Uh, and uh, the wedding is like the one time that they're required to do so. And it doesn't matter whether it's the father of the bride or groom or mother of the bride or, or groom or, or uh, best man or bride or groom. They, they, sometimes the stories that come out of these speeches are quite amazing. And actually, the more nervous the speaker, sometimes the better the speech. And uh, so that was sort of what we discovered. But it's also, what, while the speeches can be very funny, they can also be very poignant. You know, people talking about maybe a parent who had passed away during the year and couldn't be there for the wedding. Um, so it kind of gives uh, an insight into Irish life. Lovely. And of those 16, I'm just really intrigued by the sort of people who gave speeches. I know I've been to weddings where really a speech made by a mother has really stood out. I'm thinking of one in particular where the mother of the groom wrote a poem that was both ridiculously funny and so sentimental. It was just beautiful. Were there certain people that stood out to you in those 16 weddings? Oh yeah, look, look, we, we've we've had. Uh, I mean, like, uh, by the way, that's that's absolutely true. Like, the more mothers, uh, mothers and and uh, bridesmaids even and brides uh, that are speaking, and um, much better speakers a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, no notes, uh, get up and just speak from the heart, and they're always the best speeches. Mm. And did you come across any terrible speeches? You don't have to name names. <laughs> We had we had uh, oh we've had some we've had some great uh, best man speeches. One guy stood up and he said, "A good speech should last as long as the bride and groom making love on the night of their wedding." And he just sat down. <laughs> and then he he did not stand up. He did not stand up for about five minutes. <laughs> to finish the poor bride. But, uh, but I hope was, he but, did stand up then. And... Yeah, he did. He did. He did. And then he. he, he and then he made a very good speech. <laughs> you are the man behind Older Than Ireland and the Irish pub, which makes me think you're very interested in what motivates us as Irish human beings in particular. Yes, uh, yes, I suppose what I'm interested, what we're interested in is, is sort of what sculpts the Irish psyche and, mm. and also uh, what makes us tick. And there is something unique about the Irish and hopefully we can capture that. And do you think a wedding captures that? Well, as I said, it's 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 whether it's a, we- a wedding can be anywhere really, uh, but the speeches in uh, the, the speeches at an Irish wedding are very unique. I don't know whether you've ever been to a wedding in the UK yeah. or in the US or in, in Italy or, um, you know. So I, I, I I've been fortunate to just with friends abroad and or maybe unfortunate <laughs> to be at some of those weddings. They're not the same. They really are not the same. They they do not do it. Uh, there, there, there can be a great humility with a lot of the speeches, um, and and a lot of gratitude, and it's just a lot of uh, a lot of emotion. And again, it, that you know, it, it, it can be just that moment where somebody they've never spoken and they get up and they just leave the notes down the table and they just kind of speak from the heart, and they can be amazing. Yeah, and I suppose that's what we want to kind of capture. Lovely. And as you said, you're taking a small crew out. 
um, and hopefully trying to get people over the next six months that are getting married during the crazy times that are COVID. Um, so if you got someone from here in the southeast, it's funny, I think I've only seen one wedding on my social media over the past, I suppose, a couple of months even as restrictions were lifted a little bit. So are you hearing of weddings happening? There are, there are. People are, people are saying to hell with us when they're getting married and, uh, mm. and fair play to them because they could be waiting you know, a lot longer and, you know, and they're just doing it smaller maybe and, uh, and you know, that could be that could be better in some ways. It could be a good excuse not to have to invite every True. Tom, Dick and Harry to your wedding. Exactly. <laughs> uh, as I said, like, just to make it really clear, like, so in terms of crew, it's, it's literally just myself. Okay. I, I do camera as well and, and so I go along and the idea is to be invisible throughout the day and, and then, you know, we, 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 there'll be 30 weddings around the country so, you know, it might be only three minutes from the day that we'll make the film, but then there'd be like a premiere and it'd be a bit of crack. Okay. And obviously all the footage that we ca- that I capture, I give to the bride and groom oh, anyway. Go. So in, in a way, that's the incentive. There's a free wedding film in, in it for you. Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. That's a great incentive. And I think as well, I'm sure when lockdown happened and you were in the middle of producing your film, you thought, oh no, but I, I really think you're going to diarise one of the weirdest times in our history. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's funny because I'm, I'm doing. I'm, we're just completing another film at the moment as well, and it's, it's about confession. Okay. The story of confession, uh, which which has its origins in in Ireland. Uh, confession, as we know today, has its origins in Ireland. But uh, we we were we're interviewing priests around the country, and mm-hmm. we 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 filmed them kind of opening the churches again, and it, it you know, and and the closing of the churches. So it kind of gave us an opportunity to see a different side of it all, and hopefully this will be the same. It'll just be. Uh, you know, by seeing how people kind of push through, it'll kind of give us a, a different insight into what, uh, you know, what it means to be Irish that maybe we haven't thought of yet. Excellent. Well, as we said, if you are interested in getting involved in the feature documentary, The Irish Wedding, and you're getting married over the next six months, uh, you can contact Aileen in Atom Films. She's Aileen at atomfilms.ie or you can check out that website. It's atomfilms.ie. Listen, Alex, best of luck with it. I hope you get lots of couples and uh, enjoy getting out and about over the next six months. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that, Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103.